0: And as you have sang Psalm 110, I would like to take you there again in the scriptures. Uh, As we look at our text, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. And I'd like to look at it in its context with a few other verses we just sang together, important, helpful review. So you might have that marked if that's helpful to know in advance. But we give ourselves to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 this morning. And remember, this is in the context of an entire chapter on the certainty of the resurrection in Christ. And uh, this verse in its context is meant to encourage you, Christian, that while it may not always be obvious, Christ reigns. He is advancing his kingdom and he will consummate it on the last great day. But he's in the process. Things still need to be completed before that day. But rest assured and trust indeed he reigns and he will raise you from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25, hear now the word of the Lord. For he, that is Christ the Lord Jesus, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And uh, now let's read it in context, verse 24 to 28. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And again, verse 25, our focus verse for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Well, we've been studying the Lord's Day during our Sabbath classes, and we remember why is the Christian Sabbath now the first day of the week? The Lord's Day, as referred to in Revelation 1:10. why were they meeting on the first day of the week? The answer is because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are in the Lord's Day as we are every Lord's Day on Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ every Lord's Day, the first day of the week. But as we do that, we are celebrating also the first fruits of our own bodily resurrection. We're waiting for it. And we need to be encouraged and reminded that this will happen. Our own resurrection is not yet yet. Just as one ripe orange on a tree, yet has the rest of the oranges, many only green, much smaller, some only in the form of a bud. The full harvest is not yet, but it is certain. We know it's coming that first orange has ripened. And that's the context of our text, the resurrection in Christ. Verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Notice, at his coming we will be raised. And this is the... The general resurrection with all, but for Christians raised into our new spiritual bodies, Paul talks about in the text. Christ is the first fruits. We look to him as the first fruits, as the guarantee and confidence as our own. But we remember there is still more yet to be done until he returns until we're all raised from the dead. You know, we can be uh, struggle sometimes to consider the graves of our loved ones, those who've gone ahead in heaven in the spirit, but so long have been in the ground, and we need to be reminded that it's going to happen. Christ reigns. He will raise us all from the dead. It's going to happen. But it's in the process of growing. The kingdom is in the process of growing. More of God's elect are to be called out. And all of God's enemies are to be stamped out. And then he will return. Christ has already inaugurated his kingdom in his first coming. Children, the idea of inaugurated means he's already brought it into being. In his first coming, when he came down and took on humanity, he started his final kingdom. But he yet still has to come back He is resurrected, he ascended on high, he is sitting on his throne at God's right hand in our humanity, reigning and ruling over humanity, taking it back over. But he still needs to consummate his kingdom. Children, the idea of consummate means coming back and taking it in full where there will be no rebellion, there will be nothing but his kingdom throughout the world. Imagine that. There will be nothing but his people, nothing but his church throughout the world. And we're looking forward to that. But we are waiting and so so long waiting, we need to be encouraged. He will consummate his kingdom, he will complete it at his second coming, and then he will raise you from the dead. It is certain. And this reigning along the way, he is doing presently from his throne. In heaven. Colossians says, Jesus, you have your minds thinking on things above where Christ is seated on his throne at the right hand of God, where your lives are hid with him. Be giving yourselves to think of these things. This is what we're endeavoring to do today, that we don't lose hope, that we're strengthened and reminded of what we're here today for. The whole world's laughing some too, but Christ is coming back. He is reigning and he will rule. Christ is still advancing his kingdom, but he will absolutely finish the work. I give you that as the main hope of our text, the main idea of our text. Christ is still advancing his kingdom, but he will absolutely finish the work. He will absolutely finish the work. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. When he returns. Now, again, we saw the context of verses 24 to 28, and there's this regular repetition of the idea of something that needs to be completed at his return when all things will be put under his feet. The enemies of the Lord, all things will be put under his feet. That needs to be completed. It's in the process. He's reigning. He's done reigning in a sense when it's completed. He always is the son of God on his throne. There's always an aspect of him being mediator, but there's a, there's an aspect of completing the conquering and the taking over of the world. And then he's done with his work. He's already accomplished it for you when he sat down on his throne in terms of you being in his kingdom of grace. But there's more to do more need to be brought into the kingdom. Uh, He has to collect all of his elect, all of his sheep. And he needs to do away with all of the rebellion in this world. Satan, the demons, and the wickedness of this world. And they need to be judged. More on that tonight. The complete context of this chapter, you'll remember, is the absolute certainty of the resurrection. They were doubting the resurrection. Remember, Jesus dealt with this even with the... uh, Sadducees, they doubted the reality of the resurrection. Paul says if there's not a resurrection, then Christ is not raised. And if he and there is no resurrection, you're, you have no hope. Your faith is in vain. But then he goes out of his way to prove Christ is raised. Therefore, you will be raised. Wait for it. Wait for it. It is certain. He is reigning and he will complete the advancement of his kingdom. You will be raised from the dead. It is certain. And you will rule and reign for with him forever in his new eternal kingdom with your washed robes as kings and priests of his kingdom because Christ is raised so will you be raised Christian do not doubt and keep your hand to the plow and that's where he goes with the end of the verse one of Elder Renner's favorite verses we preached on before I believe by his request verse 58 therefore because this is true Christ is reigning and he will consummate his kingdom you will be raised from the dead he is the first fruits of it therefore verse 58 my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you struggle to keep your hand to the plow? Do you struggle to think, is this for real? Do you struggle about church service and putting Christ first in His kingdom? Well, here is encouragement. Here is encouragement not to doubt. Here is encouragement to continue on. Having been raised, King Jesus is in the process of completing his kingdom. It is absolutely certain it is happening as we speak, and it will be finished. Maybe tonight. Our text is quoting Psalm 110. I'd like to come back to this, keep it marked, but turn with me to Psalm 110, please. And uh, not only our verse, but many of the verses around it are alluding to Psalm 110, are building upon it and explaining it. Psalm 110, again, verse 4 especially, is the most quoted scripture of the Old Testament in the New to prove Jesus Christ. Remember that when people try to say, well why do you see the Psalms? I want to sing about Jesus. Well remember Jesus said in Luke 24, uh, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms all speak of me. And um, singing Psalms to one another is to sing the words of Christ to one another. Ephesians five nineteen, Colossians three sixteen, I believe. So Psalm 110, Ten is especially quoted, uh, we know verse four, uh, but we want to recognize verse one again: The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is what Paul is quoting and building upon in the following verses. Paul is quoting psalm ten verse one, but what is it about it 's about Jesus Christ after he came to earth, took on your humanity. Conquered sin, conquered you and gave you salvation and made you citizens of the kingdom of heaven and rescued you from the world of Satan. And then he rose himself from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. He has done this. It is done. He sits on his throne and he is advancing his kingdom, bringing others into it, uh, taking over the kingdom of Satan through this world, taking the world back. This is about Jesus in heaven right now in your humanity. But it's the Father speaking to the Son. Remember, Jesus says in the Gospels, Who's David speaking about? The Lord said unto my Lord. He's obviously speaking about me is the implication. The father speaking to the son from all eternity about what you would accomplish and when you come back sit down now in your humanity and let all things be put under your feet. Let your kingdom advance now. You've inaugurated your kingdom and when you've consummated it we shall return. That's what this is speaking about and Paul's referring to it in the hope of the resurrection to give you confidence as citizens of the kingdom of heaven because so often you look around and all you see is the kings of the world mocking you but at the end of the psalm just like in psalm 1 and psalm 2 Jesus will have his victory over these kings it's certain but you got to wait for it again verse 4 is related he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek Genesis 14 that and this verse quoted in Hebrews uh, making the point that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek he was a king priest And thus verse 3, this is what he's already done to you with his kingship. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. He's already making willing subjects in his kingdom. He's ripping them out of the claws of Satan who held them captive at his word, at his will and giving them salvation, saving them out of this world and the pharaohs of this world and the demons of this world and making us victorious conquerors in himself. Even now but that is not a process that is yet finished again verse 1 the Lord said unto my Lord sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool again Jesus ascended up in humanity having conquered death on the cross applying his blood in the true holy of holies, sits down at God's right hand on his throne and your lives are hid there Colossians 3 Let us think on those things. Let us be encouraged. It is his present reigning reality, verse 1, and then back in our text in 1 Corinthians. Beloved, Paul wants you to see, looking at Psalm 110, 1, this is the present reality. Jesus reigns. We love to say that, don't we? But we we don't tend to act like it. We need to be encouraged and remembered. He is reigning presently. He's in charge of everything. The revelation is about Jesus reigning. Chapter 4 is about him executing God's judgment of the seven scrolls upon the world. Bringing everyone to bear witness to his final call for repentance until there's no more chance to repent. He's advancing his kingdom. He's taking it back from Satan. And he's giving people an opportunity to repent and bow the knee and confess that he is Lord. And Paul is reminding you that we're in that process right now. He's inaugurated his kingdom. He will consummate it until the last day that all things are put under his feet. Hang in there. John Calvin explains our verse. He says, For he must reign. He proves that the time has not yet come when Christ will deliver up the kingdom to the Father, with the view of showing at the same time that the end has not yet come. When all things will be put into a right and tranquil state. Because Christ has not yet subdued all his enemies. The father has placed him at his right hand with this understanding that he is not to resign the authority that he has received in his humanity, of course, until they have been subdued under his power. And this is said for the consolation of the pious, that they may not be impatient on account of the long delay of the resurrection. The last enemy, death. We see that there are still many enemies that resist Christ and obstinately oppose his reign. But death will be the last enemy that will be destroyed. Hence, Christ must still be the administrator of his father's kingdom. This advancing kingdom in humanity. Calvin goes on to say this, may it be your consolation. He says this, let believers therefore be of good courage and not give up hope until everything that must precede the resurrection be accomplished. Some may ask, some often ask looking at the hard things of this world, not recognizing it's all from Christ and revelation. Are these the last days? The answer is, you know, is of course they are between the first and second coming of Christ but there is the last great day but one thing you can say is why yeah 1 Corinthians 15:25 He must reign until all things are put under His feet. But notice, He reigns now. He doesn't come back and then reign for a while. We are in that mediatorial reign. He reigns now as victorious over death on the cross for His saints. He'll conquer completely in the end, and uh, we'll have the second resurrection, and the second death will only be for those who are His enemies. He must reign. He must continue to advance His kingdom until all things are put under His feet. That's the process we're in at the moment. Now, I'm thinking of Westminster Shorter Catechism number 26, Christ's kingly office as mediator. And how does he execute it? Christ executeth the office of a king in one, and I'm adding the numbers to divide it, subduing us to himself. That's first, uh, that's Psalm 110 verse 3, making us a willing people. Two, he executes the office of a king, mediatorial king, in ruling and defending us. So notice it's all on behalf of the church. Three, in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. That's the last part. And that's what we focus of. Uh, The last part we're looking at today with our text, this is the verse that's given by the Shorter Catechism. Restraining and especially conquering all his and our enemies. As our mediatorial king, he's in the process of doing that. He's reigning right now. He must continue to reign until he puts them all under his feet. He's doing that. That's part of his office of a mediatorial king on our behalf, graciously and in a sense in power over the earth. Again, our text today for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet relates to Christ's present kingly office in mediating for our behalf. He's in the process of conquering. Everything is under his domain and he will have total dominion. He's restraining the world. He is in the process of conquering it. All is under his domain. He will have total dominion. He has been given all power and authority to make disciples of all nations. That's the end of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? Go make disciples of all nations. Well, how are we going to do that? That's mission impossible. They just laugh at us. How? Because I've been given, as mediatorial king, power and authority over all the world. To restrain and defend you and to conquer, to subdue my subjects and to conquer my enemies. Go make disciples, though the kings of the world will laugh. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, in the end, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Christ consummates his kingdom. He's reigning and he will rule. There'll be no king but Christ, the king of kings in the end. He's in the process of making that happen. Look at his resurrection as the truth and sign of that and as the first fruits of what is yours in him and his kingdom. James R. Boyd in his commentary on the shorter catechism writes this on this question 26, how Christ executes the office of king, mediatorial king. What lessons do you derive from the above doctrines? I learn one, to submit myself to Christ as my supreme ruler, to trust in him as my great protector and guardian, and to honor him as such. Two, to endeavor to bring others to cease from rebelling against his rightful authority and from resisting to make them good and to do them good. And three, That those who continue enemies to Christ must be overthrown. And that his friends have occasion to rejoice in their own safety and permanent happiness. And that last part is related to the last part of the catechism in our text today. Those who continue enemies to Christ must be overthrown. And that his friends have occasion to rejoice in their own safety and permanent happiness. If you think about that question and answer, and you think about how it relates to our text, let me ask you this. Why is the world not worse than it could be? Let's stay with our Westminster standards. The right answer is the mediatorial kingship of Christ. He is restraining his enemies. He is not allowing them to have the full influence they could. Just as he's bound Satan right now. In this mediatorial reign, from having the influence he used to have over the world, so that his kingdom will advance and conquer it. It's happening, it will happen. Why is the world not worse than it could be? Because of Christ's common kingship over all, and in particular over his elect Christ's mediatorial kingly rule of it in power on behalf of his grace in and to his church. Ephesians 3 20 to 21 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. Amen. Remember, again, Christ has bound Satan's influence. Revelation 20, verse 2. Yes, he's a dangerous dog. You got to watch out, but he's on a chain. He's done this while his kingdom grows throughout the world as heaven's leaven. Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What will they not prevail against? The advancement of Christ's kingdom, building his church throughout the world. There will be a time to take the bread out of the oven. Things are cooking right now, but there'll be a time to take it out. It will be done. Robert Raymond writes this. Jesus, by his kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew 13, revealed that the kingdom of God, which was from the perspective of the Old Testament, a complex but undivided unit, would unfold itself in two stages. Beloved, have this in view with where we are in the gospel of Mark this evening in the Olivet Discourse. I continue to quote, the second stage, the consummating phase of the kingdom of God, Jesus taught would indeed come, as Daniel had prophesied, manifesting itself with the coming of the Son of Man in great power and glory. Matthew 25, 31 to 46, referring to the Alva discourse there. But before it came in power, and I would add on a white horse from Revelation, Jesus taught by these mystery parables, the kingdom had first come in grace, and I would say, on a lonely cult of a donkey. Also, in his own person, see Matthew 13, 37, he goes on to say this, coming gradually, coming largely in the internal, invisible sphere of the spiritual life, and tolerating imperfections in its subjects and even resistance from the world system and the kingdom of Satan. I continue to quote from Robert Raymond. The view of Jesus parable of the seed growing by itself, Mark 4, 26 to 29, the kingdom is God's supernatural breaking into history in the person of Jesus. It is heaven's Miracle. It is God's deed. The kingdom will advance, though men know not how, all by itself, whether they sleep or get up, because of its own innate vitality to reproduce itself. The present age is the consummating period of God's saving activity. The age to come, exhibiting as it will, God's consummating judgment activity will be ushered in by the king at his coming and power and glory. You see, beloved Christ came in his first coming to take the world back from Satan. What did he say to people? The kingdom is in your midst. Well, how was that? Because the king was in their midst. The mediatorial king has come, and he's taking the world back from Satan. Remember what we learned on some of our Wednesday studies related to the sixth petition, Deliver Us From Evil. One of the special things prayed for is, Deliver Us From The Evil One, Satan. And as we gave our attention to that, we saw that there are a number of scriptures that say, He is the prince of this world. He is the god of this world. In the fall of Adam and Eve, Adam forsook his authority over the world and Satan took it over, which is why he deceived him. But Christ, the second Adam, has come to take it back. This is why all the demonic activity was happening at his first coming. What did they say? Are you going to do it now? But he inaugurated the kingdom. He advances it, offering grace, offering mercy to all who will bow and confess and receive him, willingly subdued by his grace He comes back to consummate the kingdom, and then anyone who didn't will be forced on their knee to bow and confess he is Lord. They won't be able to deny it, and then they'll be sent to their eternal judgment. That will be looked at tonight a lot as well. Satan is bound and awaiting his final execution in the lake of fire with all his kingdom's minions. And they are all in the process of being conquered, the final enemy, death. Thus, it has no sting on us. Verse 55 of what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 15. Death has no sting. Why? Because Christ will conquer that as well. The last enemy, death. And then bring us all into an eternal day of eternal life with our new spiritual bodies. Herman Hoeksema explains. In... uh, His uh, in his dogmatics, speaking of the kingly office and the officers of the mediator offices of the mediator. He writes this by Christ's kingship of power is meant his royal power and authority over all creatures, including devils and ungodly men. This is him reigning in humanity on high now. He continues he is king over all things even over all the powers of evil all principalities and powers are made subject unto him. He has received a name above all names and all power in heaven and on earth. He uses his mighty power for the preservation of the elect and unto the coming of the day of his return and the establishment of his eternal kingdom and glory. And he references Psalm 2 6 to 12 Matthew twenty eight eighteen, Philippians 2 9 and 11. Now, keep in mind, uh, it doesn't mean that all the nations will acknowledge his authority, but he still reigns over them. He still overrules over them. And as we were thinking about in the study on Psalm 92 today with Dr. Godfrey, notice how many things, what a powerful statement. Humanity in itself, the weight of its own sin eventually collapses. And he pointed to the examples of communism, how it's collapsed itself And all these other kingdoms, Daniel's prophecy fulfilled ultimately in Christ, all these other kingdoms come and then they are gone and no one would have thought it could happen. And then Christ comes in the final part of that prophecy and his kingdom reigns forever. So the kingdoms don't have to recognize Christ as king for him to be king over them in his humanity on his throne, but in a sense of power on behalf of his church that he's building. Huximah goes on to say this. The second aspect of his kingship, his mediatorial kingship, is called the kingdom or rule of grace. Because by it is meant his royal power over his people, whom he rules by his grace, by his spirit and word. Ephesians 1.22. This royal power, this uh, has its basis or ground in Christ's purchasing of his people by his own blood their redemption from sin and death. It is spiritual in character, a dominion of love, so that his people are made willing by his grace to keep his commandments. It embraces all the redeemed, the entire church. It has for its purpose the manifestation of the glory of God in the church, and it endures forever. And that we will see when all things are put under his feet. Remember, Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom, but it is seen through the physical aspect of his visible church. And one day, that's all you'll see, as everything else is put off of the earth at his second coming. I'm going to give you some uh, a long quote by A. A. Hodge, the son of Charles Hodge. Christ and his kingdom uh, closely resembling what we're talking about with Hooksma and the shorter Catechism 26. Bear with me; we actually studied this whole article on a Wednesday years ago. It's very helpful. Christ and his kingdom. A. A. Hodge writes, In his office as mediator and in his entire person after the incarnation as God-man, he was constituted a king by the authority of the entire Godhead as represented in the Father. This authority thus bestowed upon him by the father is special, having particular reference to the salvation of his own people. And to that end, to the administration of all the provisions of the covenant of grace of which he is the gracious executive. Now he has this part in caps, all caps. A man sits upon the mediatorial throne of the universe. A man Jesus Christ, the God-man. That's what Paul's speaking of in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-five, quoting Psalm 110, 1. A-haj goes, A-haj goes on to say... Theologians have accordingly made a distinction designed to classify the different aspects and methods of this vast administration of royal power between Christ's kingdoms of power, of grace, and of glory. That largely has to do with to whom uh, he's relating. Number one, Christ's kingdom of power. This is the providential reign of the God-man over the whole universe in the interests of his mediatorial work as redeemer of his own people. The universe in all its provinces, material and spiritual, constitutes one system. The certain attainment of any end, the absolute control of any single department necessarily involves the control and the coordinate administration of all the parts. The God man, as mediatorial king, has during the present world age brought the whole mechanism of the material universe under his command as means to secure the establishment of his mediatorial kingdom. He guides the marshaled hosts of heaven to that supreme result. That's what's happening right now. He is reigning. He must reign. He controls all events for the good of his people. The end is the complete redemption of his people. But in order to secure this, all the members of the human family in their successive generations and in their various family and national groups must be dealt with as subjects of the same government. Now you see that with how Daniel, God through Daniel, deals with Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, Belshazzar and and. Um, you know, the other kingdoms, you see how he deals it with Cyrus. You know, the Lord uses the kings of this world for the advancement of his own kingdom of his people. And they acknowledge and recognize it, although they don't bow in salvation to Him. (laughs) Number two, the kingdom of grace. So first we see the kingdom of Christ's power. Next we see the kingdom of grace. This spiritual kingdom, A. A. Hodge writes, which is the special care of Christ for the sake of which His government of the universe is undertaken, respects first His own spiritual people individually and second, his professed people collectively organized in the visible church. He has, in his inspired word, and through his ever-indwelling spirit, provided for the government of this church through all ages. He has therein ordained the conditions of membership, the laws, and offices. See, the church and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, are the same advancing through this world. He goes on to say, In the kingdom of grace, Christ declared that his kingdom is not of this world. That is not one kingdom associated with the other kingdoms, with like organizations, laws, methods of administration, and ends. But it is a spiritual kingdom embracing and interpenetrating all others. No kingdom can keep him out. No kingdom can stop the spread of his gospel. The Olivet Discourse in the gospel says the kingdom has to be preached to all nations and then the end. It's going to happen. It's in the process of happening. Number three, and this particularly relates to what we're looking at today. Christ's kingdom of glory. Christ's kingdom of Glory. A. A. Hodge writes this: during the present age of Christ is set forth principally as a conquering captain, reigning at the head of his militant host, the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2, verse 10. The conqueror of his and our enemies, the subduer of the world, Revelation 19:11 to 16. But hereafter, the scriptures reveal a final consummation. That's what Paul's talking about. Quoting Psalm one ten one, When Christ's kingdom shall be complete in all its members and shall be developed to its perfect state. When all the redeemed shall be gathered, the crisis of judgment passed. The glorified bodies of the saints reunited to their perfect spirits. Then shall the son of man sit in the throne of his glory and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Revelation 22, three to four. The whole thing of Revelation is about hang in there, church. Christ is reigning, though it often doesn't look or feel like it. He's advancing his kingdom, and he will come back to consummate it. Don't give up and let his resurrection be your hope of your resurrection, as the Revelation speaks of the second resurrection of your body. Christ is reigning by conquering And coming to conquer. Revelation 6 2. He is conquering and coming to conquer. And one day he will rest from his war with Satan once and for all. And on the last day, the church militant will completely merge into the church triumphant. There'll be no invisible church, it'll all be the same, visible. And seen before all as more than conquerors at the resurrection of all humanity. Until that day, beloved, be encouraged to remember that you will all most assuredly be raised from your graves in victory. As well as your loved ones who have gone ahead. And Satan and death will be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is... The king of kings and Jesus reigns presently. But there is a final battle on the horizon. Wait patiently. Don't lose heart. Overcome. For Christ will reign until he rules the world. And that is the message for you from our text this day. Christ will reign until he rules the world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king. And we remember and recognize that he shall reign until all things are put under his feet. Let us rejoice in Paul's use of Psalm 110 verse 1 and all of its context. It will happen. It's in the process of happening. You are reigning and there will be a day when you're done conquering and you'll come back and consummate your kingdom. You will raise us from the dead in our bodies and say, enter into my father's house. We will enjoy your renewed earth and the new kingdom of heaven on earth with our new raised bodies. And you shall reign forever and ever. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for this encouragement. And pray that you help us to remember to think of you as king on your throne presently reigning. And as we struggle and we see all the horrible things and war happening all around us. Let us remember these are signs Jesus said would be of the end coming from you. That all should repent and turn to you now while they can. Jesus reigns presently. And Jesus will rule forever. We say in the spirit, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly as we also pray, as you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors.